Welcome to the Wartime Leadership Podcast, where we explore what spiritual resiliency looks like from different perspectives. We often focus on the physical, emotional, and social areas of resiliency, but too often we neglect the spiritual pillar. Now, this looks different for everyone. We will be exploring what spiritual resiliency looks like in the lives of our guests, who are people from all different walks of life. Today's episode is sponsored by Success Draft, where we help you transform your dreams into drafted plans. Head over to successdraft.com to get started on your future today. This episode's guest, we uh, I, was, I was starting to put together my list back a couple of months ago, and, and this gentleman's name came across through a, through a service that I use. And let me tell you, folks, as I've gotten to know him kind of in the background, uh, just by reading stuff and, and, and listening to his podcast and really getting to kind of see where his heart is, I have truly been blessed in this job right here. Like this, this podcasting gig has been absolutely amazing. Today, he is a successful real estate entrepreneur. He's a podcast host. And I just love to say his name, Joe Rocky Jr., for some reason, Joe, when I say it, I just I have to say it in this accent. Joe Rocky Jr. <laughs> I mean, and, and you're from you're from Pittsburgh too. That's so right. it just kind of yeah. rolls up. That's Joe right. Rocky Jr. How you well. doing, sir? I'm doing great. How about yourself? You know what? I'm living the dream, loving the weather down here. Uh, how about up in Pittsburgh? How's it going for you? Uh, it's as good as the summer can be, I guess. You know, we get those super hot days, we get the nice mellow ones too. Yeah, let me guess. Fifty uh, percent chance of rain. Oh, right now that from eight p.m. every night until eight a.m. every night in July. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, folks. It's super easy. It's super easy. But hey, Joe, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, I have a feeling that this conversation is going to be fun. But before we get going too far into this, let's do some easy softball questions just to get you warmed up a little bit. All right. All right. Now I didn't I didn't plan this. I'm I'm putting it out there. Greatest movie of all time. Ooh. Um that's that's hard. Oh, you said this was a softball question. You come it up is with that. a softball. Well, I always like I, I fell in love with Iron Man one. Um, there's there's just something about a that's the pillar that they built their whole franchise on, but there's just something about a guy being smart enough to just build his own stuff. Sure. He's like a jillionaire and all that. So he has extra help, but he's still at the end of the day, he's using his mind to build something to help him fly. And then he uses it for what, what actually makes a difference. And while we might not have the ability to, you know, make the infinity stones and, you know, fight Thanos and all that, like he does in the later movies, but in, in Iron Man one, he's just a normal guy who has his life in complete and utter disarray. Um, and he's able to figure it out and move on as he goes through. And um, yeah, I, I think Iron Man one's the appropriate answer. It, aside from Hamilton, it's the thing I've watched the most on Disney plus without a doubt. Um, those two have, have so far away from everything else, but yeah, I think oh, that absolutely. would be the answer. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think another side of it is his dad's legacy. It's like mm -hmm. this, this balance between trying to live up to his dad's legacy while creating his own name. Mm -hmm. and, and and that is a, a problem with society that most people don't talk. It's actually ironic. I was on guess on someone else's show talking about this, that, uh, you know, in society, we, we look at work in 
two different lights, really, you know, it, it work is either something like we hate having to go to, or it's something that we really enjoy. Um, but the people who actually have when recorded the least happy lives by self-reporting are those that don't work, whether they're getting paid to buy um, by the government to, to be on unemployment for whatever reason, or those who are living upon inheritance. Um, and it, it's mm-hmm. ironic. You, you, there are the two absolute different economic zones, but in terms of their personal self-worth to themselves, it's nearly identical. Um, just that literally showing that money cannot buy happiness, but actually it's the pursuit of, of money that does it or however you deem success. Just most people get a, a check with it when it comes along. Yeah, those complete polar opposites that always seem like they're in battlement with each other. But surprisingly, it's the same battlefield. <laughs> yeah, and they're also in the same spot of it. Like if you look at most of the world's problems, they're a circle. You know, the, the, the opposite of fascism and communism really do meet each other in the same backyard. Um, most people don't yeah. think of it like that, but they do. Absolutely. Well, you know what? You you took a what was going to be a hard question and turned it into quite a great teaching already that we have going here. Glad you, I could help. Yeah. Well, you took the second question, though, which was your favorite superhero and kind of threw that one out the window. So yeah, we'll combo. The, yeah it's the combo for the win. Okay, so what is in your online shopping cart right now that you just can't buy? You just can't push the button. That I, I don't ever really do that. I, I'm one of these impulse buyers that like as soon as I figure out I want something, I get it. Uh, the only exception is when it comes around to the Amazon Prime Day um, or any of the yeah. big sales. Because I read this article. I have no idea if it's still true or not. But I read this article in preparation for Cyber Monday a couple of years ago. And it said that most of the the big online salespeople, and you can figure out who they are, um, have an algorithm that says if something's in your cart, they will just lower the price more when an upcoming sale is around. So if you have the discipline to look for something or the forethought rather, to throw it in your cart, check on it on a couple of other sites because Google's will sell where you went. Um, And magically on Cyber Monday, it'll be through the floor. Um, it is really how I've dominated the secret Santas with price tag limits in our family. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, that that's that's normally how I do it. But the rest of my life, if they're like, there's no sale coming up, and we're just the middle of March or whatever, I find something, I get it. I don't really spend too much time thinking about something and not doing it. All right. Well, you you can hear the pin clicking because I'm writing down to note to myself: Porsche 911 Carrera put into <laughs> online box. Got it. That's right. All right. So, Joe, I am giving you two plane tickets. One is to somewhere that you have never been before, and another is to somewhere that you've already been. Where are these two tickets to? Who am I with? Uh, you choose wisely. <laughs> well, then I'm going back to Aruba because that's where I had my honeymoon, and that was awesome. Um, so you're and, going and with your wife on yes. that one? Okay. <laughs> yes, Just back, making back sure. to Aruba. That, that was awesome. And... Somewhere that I haven't been that I would like to, um, I would 100% like to be at Alabama LSU in Alabama. I was at Alabama LSU in LSU, and it was the greatest tailgate of my life. Um, I would like to see it from the other side of the fence um, over, over in Tuscaloosa. Oh, wow. Death Valley. Wow. That would have been an amazing game to watch. It was great until Tua showed up at halftime and put up about 40 points. And it was 
me and a hundred thousand people doing like the walk of shame to any local bar you could find coming out of that stadium. <laughs> yeah, it's felt that way for me too. I'm a big University of Oklahoma Sooner fan, mm-hmm. and every year with Texas, it's like, okay, are we going to be going home early? Are we going to be walking through this huge crowd of Texans at the Texas State Fair, or am I going to have great victory dances? <laughs> Oh, I can see that. <laughs> and as we get ready to go into the SEC, it's going to be even more worrisome. So that's real. They're different over there. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So what is one thing, one thing that you find repulsive? I am like my wife in this regard. When people chew with their mouth open, it's just something that just doesn't work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you are not wrong, Joe. You are not wrong. Ugh, we're still kind of trying to walk our son through this one as well because he doesn't see it because he has braces now. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Even worse. Mm-hmm. So I actually make him eat in front of a mirror with his mouth open. Ugh. Oh, greatest lesson I ever learned to teach him on that one. All right. Hey, <laughs> Joe, real quick. Joe Rocky Jr. Take us through your background. Kind of bring us up from, you know, start wherever you want. This is your story. Uh, just Walk us through your background. Yeah. So when I was approaching college, dash the beginning of college, I realized that if you're going to succeed in this life, you need to have skills. And so I went with, well, what are the skills that are the most universal that I can get? And for me, it ended up being accounting because every business needs to know where their money is. That's basically what accounting is. Um, Every business needs to know how to get more money. That's basically what finance is. And every business needs to know how to sell. Now, you can't really teach someone how to sell. You have to do it. So every job I had since I was in 18, since I was 18, was in sales. And most of them, uh, at least prior to college, were commission-only sales, which gives the greatest and worst thing to an 18-year-old. You get a sale done. You get paid what all your friends get paid over the course of like two months. But you also get the other side of the coin of you can work nonstop for two months and not say anything. And it really shows what elements of your job are actually relevant and what are just fluff to make some boss think that you're doing something important. And that's a, that's a real thing in life. So needless to say, um, I'm coming out of college with this accounting and finance degree, and it's right before the last recession kicks off. And there, in the fall, I was turning down options that were Legitimately good options. And in retrospect, I I should have said yes to them, but I was holding out for always something better, always something better. Well, the rest of my classmates weren't as stupid and they started saying yes. And these are the the major financial companies, you know, all the major accounting firms that if you're in the field, you know who they are. Um, And these guys start getting letters back around February saying, sorry, I know that we just accepted you in November, but we have to lay off guys with 30 years experience. We're not bringing anyone new on. And so they're seeing all this turnover. I mean, it's a recession. What are you going to do? The company can't pay you. Um, It's better to let some people off than the whole boat to sink. I get that. But with me, it then became with, I told those people, no, what am I going to do now? Who, what, what is actually left? Like, like the entire dynamic flipped on its head. Um, and for better or worse, there are companies that sell life insurance and annuities that will take anyone whatsoever, as long as they can pass the state required tests. Um, so 
I ended up doing that. So life insurance and annuities, the tests that I took were the harder versions than required, which allowed me on theory to do more intricate stuff. Um, the company never let me do it. So it was kind of a waste of time, but that's irrelevant. So the first year I'm underclassman of the year, second year I'm rookie. I said that backwards. First year I was rookie of the year. Second year I was underclassman of the year and the third year I left. And a big reason of it was they had roles that were just not right. Um, you know, they had this role where if you got a check, you had to have it in the overnight bin at the facility before 6 a.m. the next day. Now, for those of you who want to open up Google Maps real quick and type in the nearest UPS Dropbox, there will be about 6,000 of them in any metropolitan area. But I had to only use the one at the, their location. So if I was out talking to someone on the other side of the city, um, and my last appointment normally ended around 9, 10 o'clock at night, um, and then I had to drive across the city and come back, I, it, it really added up to 80 hours. And that was when I was fortunate to stay within the county. Um, that wasn't normally the case. So I'm sitting there like, I, I, I'm not doing this anymore. I was just in complete mode of find something different. And I realized that if I start talking to groups that specialize in something, I eventually will find a group that I like and I'll figure out how to tag into it. But at least by being with groups, with people who have different levels of experience, different positions, I'll get exposed to a lot of things. Um, and I try to hit it like a true free agent. What, what is all out there? What's really there? Um, and what would I actually like doing? And I just happened to stumble in the back of a real estate meeting. And all of these guys there um, essentially were just there complaining about their tenants, um, which that in itself was nice. But I realized very quickly that despite the, the tenants' horror stories, which are real, um, their lives were way less stressful than mine. They were all making more money than, my, than me. They had much more control of their life and it was, well, well, this is what I'm doing. It, it just became no doubt that this is what I was doing. Uh, essentially living a commission only life. You are already over the hardest hurdle of being able to run your own business, which is the fear of when's the next check coming. So with that being said, I, I just went all in. I did my first flip. Uh, I abysmally failed at it. And had I not owned the second flip and already sunk so much of my own money into it, I, I don't know if I'd still be doing this, but I already had the second flip and I already had um, a massive loss on the first one. The second one made up for everything we lost. And then really after that, as they say, the rest is history. We, we, we made bad ideas along the way here and there, like everyone does. But in general, it was a pretty straight line up, you know, some jags here and there, but in general, pretty mellow and I was able to learn the parts of this game that I'm not really good at. And some of them were relevant and some of them were not. And the ones that were relevant, I found partners that liked that part of the game and they didn't like the part I was good at and created a number of partnerships. And as a result, different entities for said partnerships along the way. And here we are here on the other side of COVID in the fifth worst state in terms of laws dealing with landlords and a governor that loves saying, no, you're not allowed to have fun or do your job. Um, yeah, you know, being told you was unessential was really a, a good thing for me for two years, <laughs> but that was my life. <laughs> wow. You know, I really love how you said though, that you became a free agent of information, like just, mm -hmm. just picking up whatever you could, wherever it was type. It's just that, that kind of resonated with me. I've got my, my paper out. I'm up to page two already on notes. <laughs> so you're, you're doing good so far, Joe. Uh, right. so what's it look like to be a leader? 
from from your perspective because you know starting out early you were working for somebody mm -hmm. uh, but you were still on a team of one because it's really you versus the rest of the the team on that yeah 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 it was basically me finding people selling to people and then they took a cut of it um despite the fact that they really didn't help that much along the way doesn't that um, sound like a pyramid scheme almost uh, it, it, unfortunately, it's how most sales departments are run. You have no control of your product. It's whatever the engineers come out with and, and just figure out a way to move it, um, which in retrospect, if that's all I was going to be doing, I should have been doing it at a place that paid a hell of a lot better. Um, mm, but that's a yeah. side story. Um, I would. So the, one of the first things I wanted was I want to control my product. I, it really bothered me that stuff I was selling my third year there was not as good as stuff I was selling my first year. So just because I met you in a later point in my life, you shouldn't be doomed to have a worse product um, than, than those I met earlier. So the, that, that, that fundamentally was an issue with me. Um, so yeah, so yeah, you're right. I, I was definitely primed to, to work for myself and, and to run my own business. And, and that's what we did. So how does the leadership look at it? Um, things obviously change once you become the one responsible for making the payroll versus only making your own payroll. And when I was first hiring in that, in that first flip that went sideways, I had a couple of misconceptions that were problemsome. And the, the main first one was I just assumed that I was going to be working with adults that would essentially do what they said they were going to do. And I wouldn't have to check in on them, you know? And yeah, that was, that was, I mean, that is a fundamental fact. You're dealing with people in the real estate labor force. Um, I'm talking about guys who are just moving drywall around. Um, not the skilled guys, well, even them too, um, but the guys who are just carrying the shingles on the roof um, that need to be paid at the end of each day daily, um, that the, they didn't get there because their life was going awesome for the most part. They normally did something and are continuing to doing something themselves that is detrimental in either the forms of drugs or alcohol. Yes, mom, she was right when she gave you all those dare programs back in the day. <laughs> so this is what happens. And, you know, it, it, it fell flat in my face. The first one was bad. I trusted these guys that they were going to do what they were going to say they would. And the house never really got done. And when it was done, it was some things that I just flat out didn't know about because I was, didn't come from a construction background. So I had that going for me too. I had real no basis of knowledge from the on the ground, how you do it side. I had, I had the economic side known from the financing background of this is the rate of return I need to get. This is the interest rate I can afford and all that fun stuff. But in terms of logistically doing the work, uh, I did not know it at that time. Now I can rewire, replumb a house, re-roof a house, all that fun stuff. But then I knew none of that. And it's uh, it, it's remarkable. That well, it's that, remarkable I made it work ever. <laughs> it's, that, it's that aspect of you don't know what you don't know. That's exactly true. Um, I did. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way since then, but I, I do have this thing of being fairly decent of not repeating the same mistake over again. Um, not saying I can not saying that like when I hang cabinets, they look as good as a professional, but I know how to do it at least. And, yeah. and I, therefore I know what is blatantly wrong when I look at, it. and I, I know at least a couple of questions or two to ask about their game plan to, to do it correctly. So how did you start to motivate those individuals that were day labor that were just there for the end of the day paycheck? Um, well, part of it was snuffing them out and firing them. I'm not going to lie. I, I punted. I just got rid of the problem. Um, especially early that, that was the, the, the answer. Um, but eventually I found, uh, crews that, that would self-regulate better than others. I, I was able to detect based upon who was running the crew, what was his capacity? What was his relationship with his guys? 
and how well was he being on top of it? And, um, and I got some really great guys there and they worked really great for a while. Um, until in 2017, all three of my crews at the same time, all imploded. And that 2017 was my last flip I ever did. Wow. So you haven't even started to do a, another one after that. Mm, ever since then has just been um, selling investment grade properties to guys who do want to flip them. And then my rental entities. That seems a lot smarter of a way to go about it. Well, um, the, 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 there's pluses and minuses to, to each element. So basically there's, there's three ways you can make money in the real estate world as a real estate investor. You can do the flip, you buy the property, you fix it up, you sell it for a big check on the back end. Um, you do a rental or a rent to own, they are essentially the same. You buy a house, you get it livable, tenant goes in there. As long as they keep their word and they keep paying you, everything's honky dory. And if you're doing a rent to own, they get the deed at some point if they um, are able to come up with the money. And then the third way, um, which is called different things, in different parts of the country um, up here, we call it wholesaling. And basically what that is, is that's a recognition that there's a lot of like lawyers and surgeons and stuff that realize being a landlord can be profitable, but I don't have the time and or energy to be able to check out this many properties to find the one that's the right one. So I'm going to pay people like Joe who can be in knocking on doors on Thursday afternoon at two o'clock whenever I'm in the courtroom. And that's really how it works. So then I get um, that house under contract for X and I sell it to the lawyer for Y and I keep the difference. And that's, that's how the model works. So obviously there's problems with that system too. There, there is no foolproof system, but the last one, the wholesaling method is the most pure sales of all of it. And there's just few people who actually can sell well. That's just a fact. Well, I just, I kind of like the aspect of you did it for so long of the flipping. You learned the ins and outs to the extent of you knew how much work needed to go into a place that if you buy it and say, hey, listen, I've got a great house for flipping. I'm just not going to flip it. I'll sell it to you. Mm -hmm. That's that's a knowledge base still. I know X, Y, and Z need to happen to it. It it absolutely is. And and the joy of that is, is tremendous. So basically... Um, I have six main clients that I'm essentially, I know what they want and, and, and they, they have flipped with me throughout the years and they just kept doing it. And I know what their parameters are. I know what, I mean, the formula is not complicated for anyone who's doing flipping correctly at anywhere. It's what you buy for the house. Plus what you put into the house should equal 65% of what you're going to sell it for. So I know what they're going to roughly pay to put into the house, which means I can do a real easy subtraction equation, know what they'll pay for it. So my job as a wholesaler is to get it under contract enough underneath there that makes it worth everyone's while. So when I'm going in to negotiate with people, it's, well, I need to be this far underneath. This is the number. And that's, that's what I'll buy it at. And, um, you know, I don't need every single house because my partners are very good at keeping me busy. And at the end of the day, if you're in 20 houses a week and you only need to buy one house a month, you can be really aggressive with your numbers. And the more aggressive you are, the more you make on an individual sale, which is really the, what I was always trying to get. Um, low volume sales, but high margin. And if you can do high margin sales oh, yeah. and high volume sales, then you're really cooking. Then so you're now, car dealership. <laughs> have you ever thought about doing uh, one of those training programs that I see at two o'clock in the morning as I'm watching TV? Uh, no, because I've never seen any of them actually help anyone. I, they, they roll through Pittsburgh um, normally um, right before Easter. Um, they, they, they rent out the convention center. 
And for the next three weeks, I see people run around trying to do what they think they know. And they, they get themselves in holes that they buy things that they shouldn't. They, they, they do things that are just blatantly wrong and sometimes just common sensely wrong. And then they call me up in October, hoping that I can give them a get out of jail free card. And nine times out of 10, that isn't how it works. And they end up taking a loss and they're sad and they're angry at everything, but it all originated from those flyby guys who come through and can sell out a convention center for a weekend, which I know how to do it. I easily could do it, but I don't think it's beneficial for anyone. So I don't, if, I, if I'm going to give keynote speeches, it's going to be on things that actually will help people like implementing the core virtues to your life. That actually helps people in all capacities, not a get where screen scheme where it says, Hey, buy this house at whatever retail is, and then just hope you can exploit crews to get them to do it lower, uh, which fundamentally does not work. Um, yeah. It, it creates volume and churning, but it doesn't doesn't help anyone. Well, you can probably give them to do it cheaper. Just the quality will also follow that cheaper model, <laughs> which means your what you think you're going to sell a house for comes down to a cheaper model, and the entire thing self implodes. But you don't know that when you're sitting there in April. You know that whenever you're trying to sell the house um, on the back end. Yeah. Well, hey, hey, Joe, I I absolutely like your methodology when it comes to that and just you know wanting to help out people but at the same time i'm not going to put something out there that a product that can be miscued uh and, and taken advantage of what kind of kind of to, to wrap into what this podcast centers around and it sounds like you know with helping people you you focus on several different areas of resiliency in in building that up and getting them to that level. How do you define spiritual resiliency? Um, well, I guess the social resiliency in general is getting up after things are bad. Um, so, so I guess that that has to obviously be part of it because that's part of the question you asked me to answer. Um, and then <laughs> the, the the spiritual side is just. When, when you're doing things that are they're doing right in life, you just know, like, like when, when you tag a baseball and you don't even feel it and you just see it sore, you just know it was done right. Um, same with a golf swing. You know, you just, you just know it was just so smooth. And in life, we all have this tendency of just getting into autopilot without really even evaluating is what I'm doing beneficial. Is it, is it, is it profitable? Is it efficient? Um, is it any of these things, but it's normally, it's just, this is what we did yesterday. So it's what we're going to do today. And I don't want to think about it. And what, what I think that, that the, the part of, of resiliency, um, and for, it's just doing this process from a spiritual lens, which to take another Marvel reference is, um, to have the skill, maybe not without all the, the sci-fi part of it, of when Dr. Strange gets flung out of his own body and can see what's going on around him but to have that ability of not having your own personal bias in the equation like if i just saw person a and person b interacting in this way would it be okay if i were just looking at this as just just a tv show or something with no personal stakes in it is this acceptable and just doing that process, you'll get a really quick, you know, thumb gauge. Am I doing things right or not? Um, and, and, you know, it's for some people that process is scary. They don't want to analyze it. Some people get into a lot of um, justification for what they're doing. 
But when, when you don't need to justify thinking, it means you're doing something actually correctly. And, and that's really the, the test of that process. Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways, I think that we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about what it looks like to, to not have our own personal biases get in the way because we want to hold on to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I, I, I might misquote the author because this is from a, a turn of the century one that I was forced to read in high school. So if I apologize. I'm definitely going to get this wrong. But one of those guys said that the, the, the current life, and this was talking about guys in the industrial revolution was man is so afraid of free time that all they do is spend time working and then use all the rewards of that spending to forget about their free time in the forms of vice. And it's not too far from the truth. So people have these things inside them that they wish were different and they don't ever want to talk about them because they don't want them to come out and become real. You know, these might be simple as little faults or mistakes you wish you did when you were younger, when you didn't have uh, the same knowledge that you have now. You know, I wish I would have been different with this person when they were still alive. I wish that when I had this opportunity, I, I would have done this. Um, and, and, and you beat yourself up. So in one way, that's, that makes a very big difficulty doing a podcast about Jesus is that people first think that when you're going to bring up religion to them, they go right to that spot of insecurity and they want to shut everything down rather than addressing it. And really, I mean, there are again, bad salespeople out there that that's how they attack people. They try to make you feel so horrible that you have to do something. Um, which is a really bad way of selling anything um, to anyone out there who's listening. Um, but the, the, the real way that, that, that you should address it is we all have this. I mean, recognition that, that there's no one going out there who hasn't wished they'd done something different, wish they couldn't go back in time and unsay what they said or, or anything like that. Um, in, in some regards, this is, you got to talk about movies. That That's what Inception was. His whole life in the Inception world was to, redo or recreate the mistakes he wished he didn't do and we all have those in some way and some of us are continuing to do them which you know don't but some of us are still doing them but the, the point is that's why we don't want to take away and look we want to have an excuse about why i, I don't need to be better you know we want to have the excuse for whatever what why this that or the other and you know excuses really are what destroy your soul I mean, they really do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those, what ifs, what if I had acted a little bit different? What if I had done this? What if I'd had this conversation in this way? And you're right. When it comes to the spirituality conversation, a lot of the times, whenever we bring up our own, whether it's faith in Christ, faith in, in whatever the, the place may be, mm -hmm. people, people automatically put up this wall. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's, that's why, conversations like the ones that that you have on your podcast father and joe and then on this podcast where we're trying to break down some of those barriers where yes our faith is going to come into it as an aspect of it because that's mm -hmm. who we are spiritually uh i've had an agnostic on on the show absolutely had a wonderful conversation with him uh after the loss of his wife to mental health and to his son due to uh drugs wonderful conversation went in a way that I didn't think it was going to go. And we had a really good conversation. Relationship leads to healing. Yes. And actually at the end of the day, that's what my whole show is about 
is, is talking about, about relationships at the end of the day. Um, you know, and that's really how it's applicable to all of us in any walk of life. You know, as I mentioned before, to me, it's about getting back to the four virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Um, and, and, you know, most people can see when someone doesn't have one of these and they're like, it's, he was the worst boss ever. So just to go through them real quick, prudence is being intelligent, wanting to learn more about what you're doing. So, you know, the, the way that you would articulate that is, you know, he's just set in his ways. That's the way he came up doing in the sixties. So he's making us stay that way. You know, all this way better way we could be doing life. We're not doing it because he doesn't want to learn it. All right. So that's obviously not a good boss. And then there's the justice side of it, which is, oh, he's only going to promote people like him or people that he likes. Um, in reality, that's way less than the media tries to make that seem out to be, but it is still real. And the, and the way you can prove it's not as real as the media makes it out to be is because if I arbitrarily said, I am never going to hire anyone or promote anyone from a state that begins with a letter N. Well, guess what's going to happen? If everyone holds that mindset, some guy in North Carolina is going to have the greatest company ever because there's all these super talented people out there and he's going to blow my company out of the water. Just the simple virtue of competition means that companies have to follow justice in, in that example or else they'll die. Um, fortitude is basically being willing to say what you need to say. So we, we all get these feelings inside of us that, I need to be able to get this out. I need to say this. I need to I need to figure out a way to get it out. And that's that's the difference. Fortitude is, is figuring out a way to say it and, and hopefully saying it in a way that's kind of nice and or effective. Um, it doesn't always need to be mean and wrong, um, but figuring out what you need to say and getting it out there. And in my opinion, the most important one and the one that we're lacking the most right now is temperance. Um, Temperance is one of these ones that, that humility is a part of. It's self-control, it's self-maturity in a lot of ways, denying today for tomorrow. And it's the one that people don't really have a concrete way of testing themselves. And everyone just thinks, oh, yeah, I'm humble, because it's easy to say that, even though it's counterintuitive and an oxymoron. Um, so, But a way to actually test this would be over the next 14 days, only eat 12 times. It's going to be painful. It's going to hurt. But you're going to go through all of these barriers of yourself of what is actually a real problem and what was an inconvenience. And you'll learn really quick that there are things that you need to be more receptive to that are going on with other people's lives, things that you make way too big of a big deal out of it. And you're ultimately going to realize that you're not the end all be all, no matter where you are in said company or, or such stage of life, that, that that's the importance. And that that's the key thing of, of temperance that um, is, in my opinion, the one that's falling away the most and the hardest in uh, this American world we live in. Yeah, I used to use the term starving a lot. I used to say, man, I'm, I am so starving. And my wife, who's from the Philippines, said, oh, really? You're really starving, huh? She was like, you don't know what it is. You have food in your belly every single day. Like, why are you saying you're starving? And, and it made me really think, you know, it, I started to have empathy towards that. So that empathy became a part of it where I, and I, and I tell this to my people all the time, I won't know everything you're going through. I won't know what you're dealing with, but I want to, I want to understand it. I want to understand more. 
I want to mm-hmm. understand what it is that you're, what you're seeking and what you're going through, because I want to know, I need you to know that I care about you. I can't show you how, or I can't, I can't tell you how to care, but I can show you. Mm-hmm. And and that plays a lot into that. What a speaking, you know, getting, staying on that spiritual resiliency kind of mindset. Uh, how do you build it in yourself or your family? You have a newborn baby, you have, you know, a, a newer child. Uh, how do you build it in yourself and your family? Well, in, in myself. So the thing I just told you about fasting, I do that every Lent. Um, on Fridays, I don't eat at all. Um, for the last Wednesday, I don't eat anything else. So it starts real hot. Uh, you don't eat on Wednesday. You get to eat on Thursday. You don't eat on Friday. So, and then we, when I do eat, it's only one meal. So it, it starts off real, real intense. And then I do the, uh, don't eat the final three days either. So, um, so in that regards, it, that that's a practice that, that, that goes through it. Um, and, and, uh, and also on a personal level, having conversations like this, I mean, by virtue, I, do a podcast about this. So I'm thinking about it a lot in preparation for our next show. Um, and, and just something that just gnaws on me. Um, when I am driving around, which isn't as much as it used to be because of COVID, but it still happens. And I'm by myself. I will oftentimes either be listening to a book, as we mentioned before we started here, or I'll just have it on silence um, where it's just the wind, me and the wind. And, you know, you can really kind of, evaluate yourself in, in, in those moments of silence. You know, some people call that prayer. Some people call it reflection, meditation, whatever it's to me, it's all the same. You, you're evaluating yourself and leaving yourself open to suggestions from the universe. And whether you believe that universe is God himself talking to you, a saint talking to you, or, or just, just a thing inside of your mind that is provable by science. It doesn't really matter. It's normally right. And, and, and the terminology of how we get there isn't really worth bickering over, in my opinion. The point is, is when you look at your actions over the span of the long haul, are you making a difference in a positive way? Or are you making the difference in a negative way by taking away resources from other people and being a negative influence? Because I do not believe neutral is a possibility. I think that's a lie that people tell, tell themselves. Well, I didn't make anything worse. Well, then did you make things better? Well, no. Well, then you made things worse. Um, you just don't want to tell yourself that uh, because neutral is not an option. And, and I think that that's an important thing that, that people need to recognize. Neutral is an important emotional step. Like you're allowed to still get angry, but if you get angry by something from a meeting that you have at one o'clock, you shouldn't allow it to continue through your day the rest of the day. That's how you have the ability to slide into neutral, get yourself back. I'm not saying you're going to be, you know, busting jokes like you're like you're a stand-up comedian the rest of the day but you're going to be able to at least be a functional normal human being without holding this anger that you had from your earlier conversation yeah as a as a drill instructor even as a drill instructor i would crack a joke once a day even in the early stages of basic training just to make sure that people were still smiling that they were still there's still a glimmer of who that person actually is and so i'd crack a joke just to see a little bit of a smile but what what about your your family how do you build it in that that dynamic of family um i think by living it just kind of oozes out i I don't know how to say that um so i mean the the prudence one's the easiest one to show i mean constantly learning you you eventually have interesting conversations you tell other people about um 
know, it, it's, it's hard to learn something that's truly interesting and not want to tell people about it. Um, just knowledge and truth is just one of those things. It just keeps coming out. Um, and, and I guess with justice, it, it, well, I, I guess at the end of the day, to, 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 instead of looking at the list of virtues, what I try to do w- with the family side is get the relationships to be better and, and really focus upon on how are things going between each other. Um, you know, are you guys able to talk? I'm not saying you need to be best friends and on the same fantasy football league or anything like that, but, you know, can you at least be in the same room and not want to run away and hide, not want to just disappear um, and, and stuff like that. So I, I think that that's like that. really how we implement it. Not being on the same fantasy football league. Cause that, that would be really dangerous in my house. Yeah. I mean, for some people it's going to work great for some people it's not, you know, <laughs> absolutely hey so joe i know that you probably have some some good stories out there you know with going through the recessions or or with with bad experiences with with houses that you flip why don't you take us through an experience something that you experienced where you had to rely on spiritual resiliency in order to be able to make it through to get through it yeah. So unfortunately in the way of life of being a landlord from time to time, you need to go to court. Um, and I can know that I have done everything, you know, ethically and correctly from any reasonable standpoint. Um, I also know, as I mentioned to you earlier, that Pennsylvania is the fifth worst state in the country for landlords. Um, so there are many technicalities and loopholes that exist. And there, unfortunately, is a class of people that just have dealt with enough lawyers and know how to exploit those, um, you know, and, and that that's that's a thing. So, um, and, and now obviously, I've I've gotten caught in this trap before because I know about it so intimately. Not often. I mean, I've been a landlord for twelve years, and I think I've had three of these, which is incredibly good. Um, but when when you're stuck in there, you're standing in front of a magistrate. Um, or a judge, whichever the case may be. And you know, he literally has the next three months of your profession for this house in his hand. If he wants to say um, yes, no, or we're going to pass it along, which is a no, by the way. Um, how did, how that is a moment of, uh, 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 of just nerve wrackingness because you already know that the house is ruined. It's not going to get any better if they go back into it for a couple more months. They're not going to fix it. They're not going to start magically paying. It just literally just adds to the problem. Um, so in, in, in terms of the resilience, it's, it's you come out of those moments. Obviously, you're, I, I've never come out of a situation where I've lost in court and I've been happy about it. Um, so it, it, it's now the tenant who should have no leverage whatsoever was given leverage because of the technicality. Um, and, and it's it, it's going through that process we just discussed of, of how can we make something well. Um, all of these have a partner involved. So now I got to communicate through a phone call or meeting with them that things didn't go the way that, that they should have. Um, and then obviously they're angry and upset as you know I am. I'm just reliving the same emotion a couple of minutes or hours later, depending on what the case may be. And it's just something that you know, it's it, 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 it's it, it's a lot of negativity that happens at you once, but you have to realize at the end of the day, as I said before, that since I'm not the end all be all, this is not the worst thing that, that that we'll be able to figure out a way through this. 
And, um, you know, every time it has happened, um, doesn't mean I'm looking forward to the next time it's going to happen, but it has happened and, and life found a way. Yeah. Have you, <laughs> I, I like how you said that I've never come out of court after losing and been happy. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've come out of court and won and not been happy. Um, you know, it, normally by the time I get to court, I'm, I, I'm so angry that we have to be there. It's not even funny um, because it, it's all because someone didn't, every single person in court for a non-criminal reason is there because one of the two of them is whatever word you want to blank, put in your head for blanker. Um, and that is a fact. Um, so if it's a criminal reason, it's a criminal thing, whatever. Um, maybe it's justified or maybe it's not, but if it's, we're just talking about money, it's because of that. And, you know, that's, I, I don't believe I'm that case going in because I've been reasonable. I let you live there and you didn't follow the contract. Um, it's been that for a long enough period. I give you enough rope and you didn't act on it. You, you've in many cases flat out lied to me about what you were going to go to it. And now it's just time for this to be done. And unfortunately, I need to ask for someone's permission to, for me to do what's right. And that, that core concept just bothers me. Um, yeah, it, it seems like it would be bothersome. I mean, if you've tried everything that you can, you've made, you've gone, you've talked to, you've handled, just do your part. It's, it's a, it's a contract. I mean, yes, in some cases it's, it's the legally binding. You're going to do this. I'm going to do this. But if you're willing to actually break your own contract to work with somebody. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's times where it's like, you know, listen, I, I, I know you're never going to pay me back. Just leave now instead, instead of making it worse. Um, and, and some people will do that just so they don't get put onto, they don't have it on their record that they've gotten evicted. Um, but some people don't care. Um, and that's since then I've become much more stringent about letting things like that go. I actually am more forgiving about things on a criminal docket than I am about an eviction docket. Uh, Cause an eviction docket is one strike and you're out in my book criminal docket. If it's anything involving a car, I a hundred percent do not care. Um, basically in my opinion is if I were a cop and I showed up to the situation, if I don't think I would have had to pull my gun out, I don't care. And, um, I get that that's most landlords are not that, that easy in that regards, but it's how I view things. Like, you know, it's life, you know, not everyone's going to be perfect 24 seven. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's really interesting to hear you talk about that, about your business life, your business world, what you've been doing, you know, flipping homes, doing these different things. And then to hear the spiritual side of it as well, just resonates and those conversations that you have. And speaking of that, you have a podcast mm -hmm. called Father and Joe. Now, I'm wondering why it's not Joe and Father. Um, because, it, it, first off, as a Roman Catholic priest, they're called fathers. And he is the number two in the English language for teaching new priests the doctrine. So he is really high up there, really intelligent, has written tons of books about prayer and teaching prayer life. And when he prints a book, it's like a thousand pages long. Like it's, it's insane. Um, so, so, and they're all deep in knowledge, but he also has the ability to present it to a second, second grader um, and, and can still have the impact and essence behind it. So 
Uh, he certainly deserves the title of being first. And, you know, mostly I'm just bringing him the, the potholes that I've run through and he can help me tell me when I was right and when I was wrong. So, you know, the self-reflection is important, but it's also always good to know why I was wrong and, and in the future, how we could do better to try to correct this kind of thing. See, I knew the answer that you were going to give. So I just wanted everybody else to be able to hear it from you saying that. But why don't you give us the premise of what Father and Joe is about? I mean, the banter between is is great. Yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, what it, it mostly comes down to is something that's in my head that is a question I don't understand or an experience that I went through. Um, that that we talk about. Now we do get listener questions from time to time, and we certainly put those on. Uh, but but there are thoughts and questions that are going through with my life, with wherever I'm at. Um, and since he's a walking encyclopedia of theological knowledge, he's pretty much able to answer things immediately. And on my computer here, I have a, a little sticky note inside here about random things that I pop up and ask him about. And we've been doing this for five years. So, so what started this podcast in the first place, um, when we weren't mature with each other, we didn't really know. By mature, I mean knowing how each other operate from a recording standpoint, not from a, a, a mental standpoint or anything. Um, but it was in 2017, and most people don't remember that far back because all the chaos that's happened recently. But in 17 is when we transitioned from Obama to Trump. And basically, this entire country decided that they were either CNN people or Fox people. Um, at least that's what the media told us. The reality is most people didn't care. Um, that The vast majority didn't care, actually. Um, but there was this giant divide that was being created. And any civilization country, depending on how you want to find the word, throughout human history that has ever divided people into groups and not been willing to listen to the other side has always ended in catastrophic result. You know, whether we're talking about we go to war with someone else, we do a genocide, all of this stuff is how that happens in human history. It's clearly within our human nature to be capable. But if someone doesn't stand up and try to stop this, we're going to be a problem. Um, and it, it, it just came to pass and got worse the more and more that he was president. And now that Biden has continued it, that we're just going to make a caricature of the other side rather than actually addressing them. Um, and, you know, Obama started this, in my opinion. He called everyone every name under the sun. But the last time that we truly had a conversation about actual policy, um, really before gas prices hit infinity like they just did, was Obamacare. During the end of the second half of the Obama administration, the first half of Biden and, and all of Trump, we never talked about policy. It was just this guy is a bumbling idiot who is the Russian's puppet. Like th That's all he was ever talked about. And what he was actually doing, some of it was his fault, um, about why it never became permanent or a discussion about policy. Um, and that's the problem. At, at the end of the day, if you can't discuss why we're doing this, we're only looking at people's feelings and trying to poke each other's feelings. That's not how you evolve as society, how to become better. So that's a very long-winded way of saying I looked at the one entity I knew that had seen the ups and downs of humans and come through on the other side, which is the church. And he mm -hmm. being a priest, he's super knowledgeable about that. This isn't the first time mankind has had this problem. Not every time it happens, does something bad happen as a result. Uh, actually, Americans have a fairly decent track record of 
getting to this point where we don't talk to each other and then figuring out that we have to talk to each other. Um, I personally believe that's the glue of capitalism that requires it. Um, I can't prove that. I just have a hunch that that's the answer. And it's just the, the way that it is. So I wanted to be part of the message of realizing, hey, guys, talking to each other is good. Just making memes about each other on Twitter is bad. So let, let's actually have conversations and figure out what's going on. Yeah. And and just to have that connection and to have him in in the room with you or, or being on the other side of that microphone, being able to have those deep conversations with somebody as smart as. Mm-hmm you know, the father, but then also to, to be as caring and soothing as speaking to a second grader is, is really good because sometimes it takes a second grade description for the picture to be drawn. Right? I, I need that a lot for me. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of episodes where, where, where he does that, where, where I just have him back up and, and tell me something. He, he, he tells me I'm wrong when I'm wrong. So you don't need to worry about that. Like there, there won't be, <laughs> Anything that's said that's incorrect, he will correct me. He's he, he's good at that. <laughs> well, but he does it with love, and oh, so yeah, that's yeah. that's where that that's where the importance thing is. Is that you don't come at it from a negative thing. You come from it with love, and learning in love is vital. And that relationship where you can correct somebody just as important. Yeah, absolutely. And really, at the end of the day, that that's what all of life really boils down to. Um, it, it is the relationships that you have and you maintain with others. Um, you know, th- that's how you become a better salesman, a better manager, um, better at anything. It, it is do you have the ability to, to create a relationship? Do you have the ability to to want to understand the other person when they're going through hardships? Or do you just want to blanketly assume they're just trying to take advantage of me so I should fire them? You know, like, like, like where is your starting point? And as we realize that, it, it really is important. Because most people will never knock themselves out of the autopilot they live in spiritually. They'll just Mm. keep going down the road and never think about it, especially if you don't regularly go to any type of mass or service. There's no thing to to bump you out of your line of thinking. It's it's human nature if you're not, not consciously thinking about something yourself to just keep going down the road. Now, I can keep going down the road of saying, hey, um, whatever the sewers do is great and awesome. It's going to be great. Um, until Cincinnati walks in here and beats us 49 to three. Well, then reality hit in spiritual life. We don't normally ever get a 49 to three upset to make us think we just mm. get, Oh, all right, well, we're the best ever. And you can't even question us. And if you only judge people on their feelings, it's really easy to stay in that world. But at some point, capitalism means you have to make a sale um, or you don't exist anymore. And I think that that really has been the, uh, the saving grace that our, our country built. Wow, man. Absolutely amazing conversation. I can't wait to listen to father and Joe to get more in depthness as to the conversation that you and him have. Uh, are there any books that you would recommend for listeners to listen to? Yeah. So um, from, from in terms of the business that there's two that really I guess this is the the first one's more than just business. It's 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 life, but he obviously covers business things. It, it Yako wrote a book called Extreme Ownership, um, which basically is you have to take control of everything you can can take control of, and then figure out how to take control of more stuff. Um, it, it, if you really want to be accountable to yourself and to others, that's how you do it. And, and he tells a lot of a lot of great stories in there. Um, he was obviously in action. I believe it was in Iraq. Um, and um, 
just an absolutely great book um, that I liked for that. And then in terms of uh, business strategy, um, people knock it, but I personally do enjoy the 40 hour or the four hour work week um, in terms of making systems, systemizing your business, trusting other people to doing what they should do, incentivizing them correctly. So they do what they should do. Um, all things that are really not groundbreaking thoughts, but they're not the easy way of just saying, hey, you're going to work here on an hourly rate. So we're not doing anything different, spoking the bear. Um, and and it, it was that book that made me reevaluate how I was doing my rentals. And now the model that I do is completely different than, than most people around me, um, which is part of why I don't go to court nearly as often as they do. <laughs> Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. So the four-hour work week and extreme ownership, we will make sure to have those on the uh, in the description below as you're reading. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for being here with us. Do you have any final words? I, I think we covered a lot. You know, at, at the end of the day, what, what I would say is, you know, you make yourself better through making better relationships. And one thing that we all can do, because we all have someone like this in our lives that that are out there is, you know, we wish we had a better relationship with them. Maybe we used to, maybe we didn't used to have a good relationship with them, but what can we do to make a difference about that? And what I would advise everyone to do, you know, before the, before the sun sets today, reach out to that person um, with a phone call, not a text, not, not a Facebook, but an actual call and just see what happens because rebuilding relationships and talking to people you haven't talked to in a little bit, takes effort from one party side. And most of us um, will just sit there and go, well, they're not calling me. I'm not going to call them, mm -hmm. especially if there's some form of turbulence in the past. Um, so I would, I would advise everyone to do that. And then the, the second part I would let everyone know is that your memory is not good because you have a human brain, uh, all of every human brain on this planet, when they create memories in their head, they're always with a tint of putting themselves in the best light. Um, even the most pessimistic people do that. It's part of being a human nature. So the chances are, if you had a falling out with someone five years ago, your memory and their person's memory are not the same. They're probably not even close and they're probably both wrong. So try to just start over and it's a fresh spot and just call someone you wish you, you had to, because eventually one of the two of you are not going to be here anymore and you won't have that chance. So something that I advise to everyone that you can do easily, just punch some numbers into a phone and hit a button. And again, it comes back to that. What if question mm -hmm. being answered? Well, thanks again, Joe, for being here. Today's episode is only possible. Thanks to my friend and producer, G Frazier with 369soundesign.com. Jeff, you have the hardest job of anyone on this podcast because you have to try to make me sound great every <laughs> single week. And I know that that's hard and that's very difficult to do. And only you have the ability to be able to do that. Uh, he is truly the one with the hardest job and the greatest outcome ever with me. We are blessed by the entire team here at the Wartime Leadership Podcast. We will see you next week. Be blessed.